What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the Overreaction Podcast, brought to you by the Market Dominator. I am your host, the voice of the Overreaction Podcast, Joe Miller. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Joe Miller Wired. Welcome into the show. Whether you are a longtime listener or this is the first time you've ever listened to the Overreaction Podcast, let me just say thank you for joining me. Uh, it is an honor and a pleasure, uh, a privilege, if you will, to have you on my show, uh, the Overreaction Podcast on the Buffalo ne- uh, Fanatics Podcast Network. And again, this show is brought to you by the Market Dominator. And who is the Market Dominator, you might ask? Well, the the Market Dominator is none other than my guy, John Spaschek. If you are currently in the market to purchase a home, if you are looking for a new place for the family, uh, if you're looking to upgrade um, or you're looking to, to sell a home uh, or you've got an, an extra property, a rental property you're looking to move or an in-law property or a family property, call John. Do yourself a favor. Call John Spazcheck. You can reach John at 716-570-3298. That number again, 716-570-3298. You can also email him at youreliteBroker at gmail.com. That email address, youreliteBroker at gmail.com. John is... Uh, He's one of the best in t- in the business, and he's he's one of the best in Buffalo. You're not gonna you're not gonna be disappointed. Trust me. Do me a favor. If you call him, when you call him, not if. When you call John, let him know that you heard about him from the Overreaction Podcast. Let him know that the voice Joe Miller sent you. Well, hey, it, it has been man, what a week, what a weekend, what a week last week. Like all the stuff that was going on with Trey, the player interviews. I mean, I hope that you took time. Uh, to just basically relish in everything that happened last week. Like, if you did not get a chance to listen to every player interview that happened, I would just recommend that you go back, listen to them. If you did listen to them once, listen to them again. Just just be, just be, take in what's happening. The fact that we're there's, there's Buffalo Bills football, like, to talk about. No, they're not playing games yet. We're getting robbed of a preseason. There's a lot of media coverage that we're not going to get, but the reality is, is we're finally getting to he- like see the guys. We're we're finally getting to hear from the guys. The coaches are speaking, and man, it is just awesome. But you know, of the biggest news of last week, and that's Tre'Davious White, Trey White actually opting in after basically giving all of us a heart attack during his press conference last week, uh, saying that he wasn't sure what he was going to do yet. He might still opt out. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I said it on the Hump Day Hotline. I was pretty confident. I was I was almost a hundred percent confident that Trey was not going to play this season. Just the way that he talked, the way that he he described his family, the time being spent like like the dude is a family man, and not only is he a family man, but he is he, he that was one of the most impressive interviews I've probably ever heard from an, from an NFL player. I was thoroughly impressed uh, with Trey with this with this how candid he was. Um, I was impressed with uh, just what you could see from an intelligence standpoint, like when he when he was describing about his contract situation and money's not a problem. Like he's good with his finances. He used the term generational wealth several times. Um, what an incredible interview! If there's an interview that you need to go back to listen to listen to, it's definitely that one. Uh, but even still, it brought up a lot of interesting points. What happens? What in the world happens if Tredavious White opts out of the NFL football season? Or what if he gets hurt? What if Trey gets hurt and has a season-ending injury in the first game or two of the season? 
What is what does that mean for this defense? What does that mean for this team? And we covered it pretty well. Uh, Jay Spence and I did on the Hump Day Hot Hotline. Is 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 that news? Uh, that interview dropped on Wednesday as far as him saying that he wasn't sure if he was going to play or not this season. So we covered it pretty well. But just to kind of go back to it real quick, that defense, you know, they finished the season number two in the NFL in pass defense. Uh, I think they were number three in the NFL in overall defense. Losing Trey White, would it would be devastating, but it would not be just like complete devastation to that defense. So to me, I felt that that defense probably, it, w- it would not finish top two, top three, top four, probably top five. They probably slide eight, nine, 10. So I, I think they would remain a top 10 defense. However, they, they would not remain in the top five if Trey were to, if, if he had opted out, or if we're talking about a situation where he gets hurt. But the reason that I bring that up is this. Regardless of what happens with Trey White, Regardless of what player on the defense potentially gets hurt, regardless of what's going on defensively with that football team this season, no matter what happens, is the season of Josh Allen. Make no mistake, Bills Mafia, this season is about Josh Allen and pretty much Brian Dable. That's who this season is about. 1A, Josh Allen. 1B, Brian Dable. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this much. I have not been this excited for a football season in a very, very long time. It just seems like everything that we need, it just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's inexplicable. I don't know how to explain what I'm feeling. There's just the anticipation, the expectation that I have, uh, what's going on with the players, the things the players are saying, uh, the new guys that have come in like Josh Norman, what he's saying, There's just something different about this year. It's almost like the players know that this is going to be special for them. Am I saying that they're going to the Super Bowl? I'm not saying that. Am I saying they're going to win the Super Bowl? I'm not saying that. There's a lot of games to play. But if if, if ever I have heard a team believe that they've got what it takes, and it's not just a look around the locker room and we all love to play football and I think we've got what it takes and there's some good guys in this locker room. That's not what's going on at One Bills Drive. The guys in that locker room believe. They believe. And that says something. And that says a lot. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility that this team could make the playoffs, do very well in the playoffs, and go to the Super Bowl. Yes, the the Chiefs are an incredibly strong opponent and something that they're going to have to go get past. But the reality is, is it's rare that a, that an, a team that makes the Super Bowl repeats or goes back a second time. Yes, the Ravens are a very formidable opponent. Lamar Jackson is hard to play, but this is a team that falls apart in the playoffs. It's not impossible, ladies and gentlemen. It's not. So as I said, this is absolutely 100% the year of Josh Allen. Uh, there's a lot of great storylines. There's a lot of great things happening. Uh, you know, just the addition of Moss, the ad- addition of Diggs, uh, the additions they've made on defense. Like, man, I'm ready. <laughs> I am I am ready for the NFL season. Uh, let's do this. So I have a special thing planned. I So I, I baited you guys a couple weeks back, and I just said that I was going to have a very special interview with Bruce Nolan. 
uh, from the Bruce Exclusive podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Network, and I was going to have it this week, and it's going to happen today. And I will get to that in a second. Before I do, though, it is Monday. So if you're listening to this podcast on the day that it came out, it is Monday. Um, and tonight, uh, myself, Jay Spence the King, uh, who is my co-host for the Hump Day Hotline on YouTube, uh, on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel, which airs live, live, not pod. You don't tune in and listen to it after it happens. It actually happens live. Uh, a lot of you probably don't realize that the Buffalo Fanatics has a YouTube channel where we go live. We're, we're bringing you live content, I believe, five days a week right now, five. And then there's a special podcast every other Saturday called The Barbershop, which is what you heard last week if you listen to my podcast last week. Uh, but tonight, uh, every Monday and every Thursday, uh, the Bills guys, which is uh, Judge Mathis, uh, Steve Mathis at Judge Mathis and, uh, and, and Dave Tilton, which is at Tilt Money. The Bills guys are on every Monday and Thursday tonight. Uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, Jay Spence and I will be on the Bills guys with them. They've asked us to come on, and we're just going to ham it up, yo. Like, we're going to we're gonna go at it. We're going to go around and around. We're going to have some fun. We're going to debate. We're going to tell uh, Jay Spence and Judge how wrong they are all the time. So I'm hoping that uh, the Tilt Money is going to be on my side about that, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so if you're not doing anything tonight, you get a double dose of Joe Miller. Uh, you get the overreaction podcast Monday morning. And then what you're going to get is you're going to get, uh, myself as well as Jay Spence on with the bills guys tonight on YouTube at nine o'clock, uh, Eastern standard time live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And what is coming next is the interview that all of you, if you're not, if you're not excited about it right now, when it's over, you're going to thank me. Trust me on this one. The interview that I have with Bruce Exclusive, with Bruce Nolan, I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, that's ba I'm, I'm basically speechless. Just it was just it was just the content that I needed. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, so let's take a quick break. We'll, I'll catch you on the other side. I'll be right back. All right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Overreaction Podcast brought to you by the Market Dominator on the Buffalo Fanatics Podcast Network. I am your host, Joe Miller, and I am not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep you waiting any longer. Uh, right now. Tune in, everybody. Lean forward, grab a notebook, a notepad, get out your iPhone, open up the notes, get ready to start taking some notes. This is my interview with Bruce Nolan. Right now, I want to welcome into the Overreaction Podcast somebody that I am an absolute huge fan of, and I know you guys are too. Uh, straight from Buffalo, New York, formerly of WKBW, it is the one and only Bruce exclusive. Bruce, how are you today? Whiny, crazy baby whiners. That's that's what that stands for. I yes, think was, no. I think it was wimpy kitty baby whiners. That was a wimpy kitty baby whiners. Yes. No, I, I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to be on the show. I'm excited to be on the, the Buffalo Fanatics podcast network and uh, let's do this thing. Yeah, very cool. Do me a quick favor. You know, I don't want to just go into this and assume that everybody knows who everybody is. And as much as you are you know, you have a phenomenal and incredible presence on Twitter, uh, as well as Instagram now, for those of you that don't know, and you can find him at Bruce Exclusive. Um, for those of you that don't, for th those that are listening to my show right now that don't know who you are, real quick, just give us a quick rundown of, you know, what you're all about, what your show's about, where we can find you, that type of stuff. I would, I would be at a, a remiss if I did not give you that opportunity. So tell us about yourself just real quick. 
Well, I appreciate that. Like you said, you uh, all you listening can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. I am a member of the Buffalo Rumblings community, Buffalo Rumblings podcast network that you can find anywhere you are currently listening to this podcast. My show is called The Bruce Exclusive, and it launches and drops on Thursdays and Fridays of every week. So you get me actually twice a week, Thursday and Friday, and what my show is about. I, I always have a hard time explaining what my show is about. <laughs> Joe, what is my show about? For me, you are one of the kings. It's, it's funny because, how do I want to say this? You bring you bring a relevant part of life as far as you know what we as fans see, uh, and, and you mix it very well with what I would call the analytical side of football, which the everyday average fan, like myself, doesn't necessarily get understand. We haven't been educated at that point if that makes sense so you make you make what i want to know or what i think i see palatable does that make sense yeah i think so i think it's a good way of wording that well i, I, I try and make it palatable i'm uh i'm a little a little rambunctious a little feisty i'm not gonna lie i have some Love i have it. some opinions i have some passionate opinions we we did an entire podcast series on things that i believe to be football myths things that people mm. talk about that i think are untrue and then we did a podcast series on why josh allen isn't Blake Bortles and why he isn't right. Mitch Trubisky. And, and that was a lot of fun. And, and right on cue, a bunch of people on Twitter were like, well, you know, Josh Allen's Blake Bortles. And so that was a good opportunity <laughs> for me to good opportunity for me to get a little jab in there. But, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed it. I've been I've been very fortunate to be part of the Buffalo Rumblings uh, podcast network for uh, about 18 months now. And mm. things have things have gone great. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about where the podcast network's going. I work with some great yeah. people. I've been very, very, very fortunate to be surrounded by people who have been very gracious to me during my time. And I love doing it. I'm just going to say it for everybody listening to my show right now. Bruce is a must listen. So it's just, it is what it is. I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, as far as you have, there's a lot of opportunity to take in Buffalo Bills content. Um, and if you, Bruce is a must listen, must listen, put him on your list, listen to him every Thursday, every Friday. Um, I do. It's just one of those things that should be a part of your every week. So I appreciate you being on the show, like more than you could ever imagine. And I'm really excited. It's funny because when I, I was rewatching, as most of us do, I was rewatching the Buffalo a Buffalo Bills game from last season. So I'm 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 not really getting like ready for the season as much as I think it was a Saturday. I was I was effectively just like you know, there's nothing on TV. I'm going to throw on the Bills the Bills Dolphins game last year in Miami, uh, and I'm going to throw it on. I've already watched it about seven times anyway. I've got I think seven or eight games recorded on my DVR. I just popped that one on. And as I was watching it, um, I was noodling around the house, doing different things. Um, but the Bills were up. And the, we, we all know what happened in that game. But there was a point in the game where the Bills, I think, were up by two touchdowns. Uh, it was probably late second, early third quarter, mid-third quarter. And the stat line came across the screen. And Josh Allen didn't have, like, remarkable passing numbers. I think his numbers were, like, 225 or 235 yards passing or maybe a little bit higher than that but he had like 65 or 75 rushing yards in that game. And literally my brain clicked and went, he's got 300 total yards. And that began, began for me kind of like this, this road, like that I, like my mind started to walk down as far as, you know, and, and I guess it's inevitable. I guess we were going to get here at some point in time as content creators, uh, people, you know, that sit in the, 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 the Monday morning quarterback seat and judge quarterbacks to the point where, you know, are passing yards the end-all be-all anymore, or is that conversation, is it time for that conversation to start to change? And what's interesting, and where I'm going with all of that setup, 
is you were the first person I thought of. I was like, if I'm going to have a conversation about this and find out why or why I am right or why I'm not right, the person I want to talk to is Bruce Exclusive. And here we are. Um, so that's pretty much where I want to start. Like literally, when you think about quarterbacks and you think about where in the last 25, 30 years since probably Randall Cunningham was in the league and that bumping up to dual threat quarterbacks, dual threat quarterbacks, and, and, and you know, constantly pushing them down. And it's always going to be pocket passers. Are we approaching? Do you think we're approaching a time where, you know, the first sentence needs to be about total yards for a quarterback versus passing yards only? And I think that's the easiest way for me to ask that question to start us out. Absolutely. I think we're in that time right now. I think that the quarterback's ability to contribute to the game in more ways than just throwing the ball down the field, I think has been happening for a while now. And as you have an influx of mobile quarterbacks who can mm. contribute with their legs and specifically get the numbers game on the offensive side for running plays, which is what effectively having a quarterback as a rusher essentially gives you, it gives you numbers advantages in the run game. And that is a, a part of the offense that is beneficial now, especially as you get into short yardage, as you get into spread sneaks, as you run into probably more ways to be efficient in the run game, because run game really isn't about volume, run game is about efficiency. And part of that is having a quarterback who can take part in it. And so I think we're already there. I think if you only calculate passing yards, what you're doing there is you're skewing the conversation toward people who don't run. You are intentionally biasing quarterbacks like Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and, and play players who don't contribute in the run game by excluding the things that those other quarterbacks may do well and may bring to the table. So yes, I absolutely think we're at that spot where total yards specifically need to be discussed. Now I do think there should be a delineation. I don't think we should lump them together. I don't think you should say, well, yeah, 320 total yards. I do think you should say he had 250 passing and 70 rushing. Because I do think right. there's a distinction there that needs to be made, but they both need to be front and center. They both need to be on the marquee as it is. Right. I So I have been probably on the opposite side, a stand, if you will, for quarterbacks will always be pocket passers. And I'm, I'm literally at the point now where I, I'm probably willing to acquiesce to that stance and that belief like when you when you when you see what's going on when you see the quarterbacks that are coming out of college you know I thought for a long time that the the RPOs and the spread offenses were gimmick things these quarterbacks aren't under center in college yada 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 like I followed you know all the lines that we were getting from the people that were you know obviously the professional guys were telling us what we should think or what we believe the problem is is it's changed like the NFL it has changed, is changing, especially when you look at the la the top three quarterbacks from this past season. You know, obviously, uh, uh, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson are what you would consider dual threat quarterbacks. So I think the question I want to ask is, the bar has always been set at 300 passing yards. And I don't know that this is an answerable question, but when you talk about passing yards, I don't know where that number came from, other than it's not a, a, a consistently attainable number by everybody, but is 300 passing yards fair? And if it is, why is it or why is it not? Like, we probably should start there, right, with passing first. It's fair as an achievement, but not as a standard. And I think it's really important to clarify the differences between those two things. Getting 100 yards rushing, getting 100 yards receiving, getting 300 yards passing, these things are good as achievements. But think about it this way. If 100 yards rushing is a standard, that means 1,600 yards rushing is the standard 
for a running back, which very, very rarely happens. If 300 yards passing is the standard for a quarterback, then 4,800 yards is the standard (laughs) for a season, which as much as we've had some 5,000 yard passers, that's still not considered to be a standard. So it is fair as an achievement, but it's not fair as a standard. And the reason why I think it's fair as an achievement is because there are going to be games where that is required of you to win Mm -hmm. the football game. That will not always be the case. But the question isn't, did he throw for 300 yards? It's, did he need to throw for 300 yards in order for us to win and failed to do so? So just failing to hit 300 yards is not in and of itself important at all, because you may have thrown the ball 21 times because you were up 50 points in the second half and your backup came in and we handed the ball off to your third string running back who usually plays special teams. Like right. it's it, contextually, it doesn't matter. The question is when the script and when the game situation calls for you to throw for 300 yards, can you do it? And in addition, when you got there, How well and how efficiently did you get there? Because the yardage mark is just one half of the equation of effectiveness. Effectiveness, I would make an argument, is how much you do something multiplied by how well you do it. Mm. So how much of something you do is just the yards marks, the pass yards, the rushing yards. And how well you do it comes from efficiency metrics. It comes from passing QBR, passer rating, DVOA, EPA per dropback, EPA per rust, CPOE, all these efficiency metrics. So the efficiency metrics in and of themselves are not important because if you're really, really efficient, you threw the ball six times, that doesn't matter. (laughs) And if you're really, really great and you have tons of yards and you weren't efficient at all, that doesn't matter either. Both parts of these things go into effectiveness. So it's valuable as an achievement, but even as an achievement, it's only one half of what we're looking for. So here's my question. So when you look at even this past season, you, you know, you've got Jameis Winston, who was chucking the ball. I call him a yard chucker, chucking the ball all over the field. And what does it get him? It gets him a not winning record and a backup position on another football team. Uh, you've got Lamar Jackson, who won the MVP, only threw for 3,100 yards this past season. Like, those are pedestrian. Josh Allen threw for 3,000. So, like, Lamar didn't exactly light the world up from, from a passer standpoint. And then we, we, we've we all heard it. We all continue to hear it. I can't wait for basically the monkey to come off of the back, but the whole conversation of, well, Josh Allen hasn't thrown a 300-yard game yet. I don't know that he's necessarily needed to. I don't know that how often he does need to. Where do you put Josh? And I want to get into the QBR thing because that's a mystery to me, but we'll get there in a second. But where does Josh fit? I mean, in your, from what the study you've done, what you've seen, the analytics that you look at, where is it coming? Is it never going to happen? Like, does he have the ability? Is it, has it not been needed? Like, where does this kid fit? It hasn't really been needed so far that often. There is a couple games where I think that Josh Allen, if he was more prepared and if he would have been better would have potentially had the opportunity to do it and it Mm -hmm. would have helped us win the game but they haven't happened super often in addition the bills weren't high in pass attempts so he hasn't really had a ton of opportunity but if you look at the pass yards per game leaders the top 10 are winston like you mentioned winston Mm -hmm. stafford prescott ryan goff rivers mahomes breeze dalton wilson That's the top 10. And you think to yourself, 
Well, goodness gracious. I mean, Prescott didn't make the playoffs. Matt Ryan didn't. You think, okay, Mahomes, Breeze, Wilson. Okay, cool. Got it there. But then if you look at the bottom 10 in yards per game, you get Mm -hmm. Keenum, Rudolph, Allen, Brissett, Jackson, like you mentioned, Trubisky, Flacco, Tannehill, Darnold, Murray. Okay, out of that group. Not great names. Yeah, out of that group, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill right. played was very efficient. Kyler yeah. Murray has, was was potentially, you know, optimistic maybe going into this year. You think, well, goodness gracious, the top ten you plugged it, yeah, not that not that great, and the, the bottom ten mm, kind of worse. So you're like, right. okay, both sides are bad. So there's kind of like a sweet spot in the middle for yards right. per game where. That indicates that the team around you is good enough where you're not necessarily having to throw for 300 yards a game. I think that's what it tells us. What it tells us is that you might not need to. And if you need to all the time, your team's probably bad. And if your team's probably bad, then a bunch of people are going to go, see, 300 yards a game didn't save you. Well, no, it didn't save you because he needed to throw for 300 yards a game. Him throwing for 300 yards a game is not why the win-loss record was bad. The win-loss record was bad because he needed to throw for 300 yards a game. It's which comes first, the chicken or the egg. In this case, it's the chicken. So, (laughs) you know, with Josh Allen, I don't think they've really asked him to a lot. And I don't think that's been a significant onus on him. I don't think it's been one of those scenarios where he's been in a position where, gosh, you know, if you don't throw for 300, we're going to lose. And that's probably because the defense has been good and they've been able to keep us in games. Now, on the occasions where the defense has not been able to keep us in games and, you know, we get a 50 burger dropped on us, then mm. Josh Allen thus far has not been able to, to rise to the occasion. But he hasn't had to do it that often. And now with the addition of Stefan Diggs, which is the third year in the same offense, I wouldn't be surprised if the run pass ratio lends itself toward that. And so my question is going to be, when Josh Allen starts getting 35 to 40 attempts a game, then, then did he hit it? Because right, right now, there's a perfectly reasonable excuse for why Josh and Josh Allen hasn't hit 300 yards. But I don't think that excuse is going to be around for a lot longer. Yeah, definitely not. I think what's interesting about everything that you're talking about, you did you did some great work on why, you know, winning is not necessarily a quarterback stat. It was it what was it 37%? Was that the number? Yeah. Like, I can't remember. Yeah, like 37% is like is what is attributed to the quarterback. And I gotta wonder as well, and I don't know if you've done like anything on this, but like points per game. So Josh Allen right now is given ownership. They've given the belt of points per game is completely 100% Josh Allen's fault. So the fact that the Bills average 19 points per game, that's 1,000% on Josh Josh Allen. Nobody has anything else to do with it. However, I don't know how much of that has to be, should be attributed not only to the offensive coordinator, and I'm not the biggest fan of Dable. It just, that's my own personal. I, I feel like he's, I feel like he's an offensive genius. I feel like he, he loses touch with the game. That's just a personal opinion, probably a con- conversation for the, another day, but how much of that also is on McDermott. You look at, and you talked about it, 40 attempts, two games that Josh Allen had 40 attempts in last season. You're talking about the Eagles game, which was in a hurricane. I was at that game. The wind was blowing 45 miles an hour constant. And it was like it was there was gusts in the 60s. Josh Allen's dropping back, throwing the ball 40. What was it? 42 times or 44 times like he had no business throwing the football that much in that game. The other one, the Browns game, who had the worst rush defense or one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL. And what does Dable do? We're going to throw it all over the field. Like so the two times that he had that I know of, he may have had another one, 40 attempts. Those were complete straight losses. 
The funny thing is, is the times when he's had to bring the Bills back from behind, he hasn't had to throw the ball 40 times to do it. So like, where does, who, who gets ownership of not necessarily the wins, but the points per game and who decides on Josh Allen throwing the ball 40 times and getting 300 yards? Because I don't know as much as we throw that weight on him. I don't know that it's deserved. I think points per game certainly is more of a quarterback stat than wins. That's for sure. Because at least points per game is mostly an offensive stat. So at least you're you're closer than halfway there. But right. still putting points per game on a quarterback is still probably too much, in my opinion, because they don't play calling is a big part of that. Now, right. I will say that, you know, if you want to get into past specific metrics, then all of a sudden you get more ownership on the quarterback but points per game is still a little bit too much for me to throw on a quarterback by themselves especially a quarterback who throws the ball you know 23 times a game I, I think points per game is probably uh much more of an offensive coaching metric than it is anything else I would be much willing much more willing to put that on the offensive coordinator than on the quarterback however even the offensive coordinator you know if you look at some of the quarterbacks that Brian Dable has worked with thus far in his career it is um uninspiring perhaps might be the best word to word that i mean he, he, this is the only guy i know who got to work with brady quinn twice so you right. know that's good so i think having the offensive coordinator be more responsible is probably good but i don't really think that's something you can really hang on any particular person i don't think that metric is sole ownership by any means but certainly not on josh allen right getting back to just the yards per game is there a difference when you when you think about a quarterback's effectiveness, right? So and and all of these things are weird numbers and weird words to throw around. And as much as like we just had the conversation a little bit about, you know, wins and then points per game, you know, we had a similar conversation in the Buffalo Fanatics chat that we have just amongst the staff. And one of the contrarians in the group was like, well, if we take that away, then, you know, is there even a stat that we're like holding the quarterback to at this point, which was funny and it was kind of true. It's like because. We're trying to cherry pick a little bit to make Josh Allen fit a narrative. I'm not, I'm a homer. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm, I'm a Josh Allen stan. He's, he's my boo. He's, he's, I'm trying to put a ring on it. Um, but is there a, when you look at the 300 number and we can move away from the 300 after this, but when you look at that number, regardless of a win versus a loss, is it safe to say that a quarterback that's consistently hitting 300 in spite of what's going on with his defense or the players around him, is he a better passer of the football than somebody that's not? Or is that just like like we're talking about? Is it just more of a, it's just a number, right? And and it is what it is. If you look at the top 10 yards per game leaders list that I gave you, and then you look at the bottom 10, mm -hmm. I do think that the top 10 correlates with more talented passers. I mean, if you could pick one group and your first group is Winston, Stafford, Prescott, Ryan, Goff, Rivers, Mahomes, Breeze, Dalton, Wilson. And then your second group is Keenan, Rudolph, Allen, Brissett, Jackson, Trubisky, Flacco, Tanhill, Darnold, Murray. I'm pretty sure you're taking group one out of that group. Yeah, absolutely. And so I do think it correlates. I think people who hit it more often, or at least you know they're capable of hitting it. Now, you don't necessarily right. know if they're capable of hitting it efficiently, but at least they're capable of hitting it. So I do think that having someone who can consistently hit 300 yards a game not necessarily consistently, but when it's necessary, as we talked about earlier, is something that correlates with a better quarterback, for sure. Right, right. But I don't necessarily think that having 300 in a win versus having 300 in a loss is really able to be determined without the usage of the efficiency metrics that we talked about earlier. I don't think that having a good 300, you can't hear, see me, but I'm doing air quotes, a good 300 
versus a bad 300, the only way you're really going to be able to tell that is through efficiency metrics, ideally an efficiency metric that is clutch weighted. So passer rating doesn't help you in this case, Mm -hmm. but total QBR does because QBR is clutch clutch weighted. So things like that matter. You know, when you're down by nine points and you throw a 50-yard pass at the end of the game, it doesn't matter. That's weighted down for the purposes of QBR, but it's not weighted down for yardage. It's not weighted down for passer rating because the passer rating doesn't know what time of the game it was and what the score was. So you have to use efficiency metrics to determine the difference between a good 300 and a bad 300. And specifically, you have to use one that is weighted for clutch. That is a great segue. And I want to talk about just some of those, those, those efficiency metrics. And I want to start that question with, you know, what constitutes yards, good yards, bad yards, garbage yards. You know, when you think about air yards, uh, versus yards after catch, after catch. So a ball that's thrown 45 yards. As we know, Josh Allen was at the the intermediate throws is one of the top ten in the league as far as being an intermediate passer. However, Josh Allen doesn't throw a whole lot of dump offs. So if a quarterback throws the ball th- two yards behind scrimmage and then the 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 wide receiver on a wide receiver screen takes the ball 70 yards down the field, the quarterback gets credit for all of those yards. Now, where does that play into some of those efficiency metrics? Because you use the word clutch factor. Josh Allen, if we know anything about him, he was tied for comeback wins last year in the league with five, right? So he's got that clutch piece, but there was no point in the NFL last year in in that season where the QBR was friendly to Josh Allen. And it's like his QBR numbers are to the point where I don't understand what they're looking at versus what I'm seeing on a football field. And yes, I've got some Homer glasses, but where do those air yards come in? And is it time to make an adjustment there on quarterbacks. The ESPN proprietary metric, which is what QBR is, is is very, very foggy. It's very foggy on how it's calculated. You know, passer rating, I can calculate passer rating. I can go, now you're not going to like it when I calculate passer rating because it's an insane algorithm, but, right, and it seems to make absolutely no logical sense, but it was also created in the 1970s. ESPN is very protective of their algorithm, just like Football Outsiders is protective of DVOA because they want to be the only place you can go to get it. And so I understand that. Now, I understand that it's clutch weighted. I understand that it incorporates estimated points added as a big piece of what it does. So if you look at someone whose EPA per dropback is low, chances are their QBR is probably low as well because that's a big part of it. So you can kind of see those two metrics correlate together. Essentially, the best way to think about it is that QBR is EPA per play that has been clutch weighted. That's a nice, simplistic way of looking at it. And that's how QBR, as far as I know, air yards versus yards at your cash don't make any sort of difference in that metric. Now, of course, I could be wrong because, again, it's kind of it's kind of foggy, but I've historically not had a problem with quarterbacks being attributed the entirety of the play and the reason that is is because for every situation where a quarterback dumps off a five-yard pass and a running back runs it for another 40 a quarterback could throw the ball up 40 yards down the field and have a receiver big boy somebody and catch the ball and you think yourself okay for each one of the former situations they're probably a situation like the latter as well and in both cases you can make an argument that the quarterback was not nearly as instrumental in the success of that play as the receiver. In both situations, you could say, look, that receiver made that happen. A great example of this would be Blake Bortles, 
2015, I've talked about him ad nauseum. I talked about it on the Bruce exclusive. Mm. If you ever really want an example of receivers bailing out a quarterback, go watch the Colts games from 2015 in Blake Bortles and Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns doing their mm. best Allen and Allen law firm impression and bailing <laughs> Blake Bortles out of jail. Because right. he just consistently said, you know what, YOLO Blake, just chuck it up there. They're going to make an a, adjustment to a ball that's really badly thrown and make their quarterback look good. So the reason I've never had a problem with giving a quarterback those yards is because that stuff is going to come out in the wash. Time will reveal that quarterback. So mm -hmm. even though that stat temporarily might be incorrectly attributed, we might be giving that quarterback more credit than he should get. Eventually, time will reveal him. So sure. yes, that one game might be off from a metric. Or hey, that couple game streak might be off. But eventually, it is going to come back around. So I'm okay with you attributing those yards to the quarterback in both situations. In the yards where the quarterback dumps it off, and the running back runs for another 20 or when the quarterback chucks it up and the receiver makes some ridiculous Randy Moss play on the ball. I'm okay with attributing that to a quarterback because those situations are not going to sustain a quarterback. So as long as you know, going in that they won't sustain the quarterback and that those things can be picked out on film and go, yes, we recognize that the yards got attributed to the quarterback. We also simultaneously recognize that that is an unsustainable method of acquiring yardage. See also Trubisky, comma Mitchell. Then in that case, I'm okay with it. So I guess, and th this is interesting because we've had a lot of, again, getting back to the Buffalo Fanatics group chat, which I probably just need to put everybody into on Twitter in the Buffalo Fanatics group chat. So you guys can all, cause it's getting out. Like we keep talking about it. All the shows are talking about it as far as all the, the Buffalo Fanatics shows, but nobody really knows what we're talking about. So one of the things that's come up is Judge Mathis. Steve has basically come out and said, and, and, and we're all over him about it, that he would take Kyler Murray over Josh Allen right now for the next 10 years. And to your point about QBR, this is the part that I don't understand. Josh Allen, top 10 mid-range passer in the NFL, intermediate passer, passer in the NFL, through the least amount of checkdowns and probably the least amount of screens as far as for an NFL quarterback that played as many games as he did. Kyler Murray, on the other hand, all he pretty much threw, I think it was 50% of the passes he threw were behind the line of scrimmage. He's 11 points higher in QBR than Josh Allen. I don't, this is the part of QBR that for me wants me to like pull my hair out. I don't know that you can answer that question or do you have a guess as, as to where that comes from? Because for me, it's un, it's inexplicable. Really, really important. QBR, just like every other metric in the world, it's a results-based, not a process-based metric. So where the passes were took place is not relevant. How many air yards they were there were, not relevant. It's about generating the process toward scoring points. So if at the end of the play, your team was more likely to score points based on down, distance, and field position than they were prior to the play, then you have gained EPA. You have gained expected points added. Gotcha. For example, if first and 10 on the 40, we know from billions of data points. We know what a team's likelihood is of scoring a point if you get first and 10 from the 40. Now, if you go from first and 10 at the 40 to second and six, then we know how likely your probability of scoring on that drive, we know whether or not it went up and down. 
based on again billions of data points. I I, right. I say I say billions with my pinky tucked into the corner of my <laughs> mouth like Doctor Evil. But billions, a billion point. But exactly. The, the point is that through all of these hundreds and thousands of data points, we know whether or not your team is more likely or less likely to score. It's based on win probability, right? And so because of that, if Kyler Murray throws a really good screen and it goes for six yards, and if Josh Allen throws a really good ball to the intermediate, fail, intermediate side of the field and it gets dropped, QBR is going to look more favorably on Kyler Murray because it is a results-based metric. The gotcha. reason why pro football focus grades exist is to try to combat the thing that you're talking about. It's exactly that reason. The reason why pro football focus decided to do grades is because they said it's too results-based. Every metric we have is results-based instead of process-based. What if the quarterback makes a great throw to the intermediate side of the field in between coverage and the guy drops it? There is zero metric to grade the quarterback positively on that zero except for PFF grade PFF right. grade is the only method by which the quarterback can quantitatively see benefit from that throw. And so QBR, just like every other metric in the world, yards, yards per carry, everything else is results based. And so because of that, even though Kyler Murray throws screens, a lot because that's part of the Cliff Kingsbury offense is pace right. and space and making sure you can run. It's one of the reasons why the Dolphins traded a running back down to Arizona and he blew up. It's because that particular system lends itself toward running, running to open space, getting your skill position players in space to be able to make plays. That's what Cliff Kingsbury's offense is about. And for that offense, Kyler Murray is a, a good fit. Now, would he be the exact same fit in Brian Dable's offense? I don't know, mm. but I think it's really important that we understand that if Kyler Murray has better passing yards, a better touchdown interception ratio, a higher completion percentage, chances are he's going to have a higher QBR because they're oh, all yeah. they're all judging the same thing, which is the results of the play. Now they're judging it differently and they're manipulating the numbers by different algorithms, but they're all still judging results. So you brought up a bad word or a bad three letters, which is PFF on my show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of PFF. Um, there's a lot about, uh, nor am I a big fan of uh, football outsiders and just the whole fantasy sports simulation game that these guys play, you know, to the point of Aaron Schuess last year in, you know, during preseason saying that, uh, you know, we've run a thousand simulations and in none of them, zero of them, do we see Josh Allen taking the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs? Well, he did, or at least that team with Josh Allen on it went to the playoffs from everything that I just gleaned from what you said, QBR is not necessarily nice to Josh Allen. EPA is not necessarily nice to Josh Allen. PFF grades are not necessarily nice to Josh Allen. So what are we talking about? What is the brass tax? I mean, where is Josh Allen? If every different metric that's out there, specifically ones that are set up to, you know, measure something that's not results driven is also saying the same thing. I mean, are we, are we driving towards a conclusion here or is the is the jury still out or what are we looking at that's positive if one person calls you a horse you slap him in the face if two people call you a horse you insult their mother if three people call you a horse it might be time to start shopping for a saddle because you might be a horse <laughs> and so the fact of the matter is you can't look at josh allen's passing metrics 
and say, okay, he's 20th in this, he's 24th in this, he's 27th in this, he's 21st in this, and then come back and say, he's above average, he's an above average passer. You can't, because right. if you're going to say that, it means that literally every single metric in the world that judges you based on passing metrics, efficiency and results are wrong. All of them are wrong. And you as a Bills fan are right. Well, what's the probability of that? Josh Allen is a below average passer in the league right now. Now, that right. doesn't mean that he's not going to be an average passer next year, and that doesn't mean he's not a tremendous runner. I would argue that he's a below-average passer and a very good runner, and overall, that makes him an okay quarterback. Josh Allen is an okay quarterback right now. We need more than okay overall to be a long-term franchise starter, so he does need to take a step forward, but I don't think sure. it's a super hot take to say Josh Allen's a below-average passer in the NFL right now because literally all the metrics say so, and the film kind of says so. Now, right. there are things that Brian Dable can do to manufacture more success out of Josh Allen. Our screen game has been basically non-existent. You know, we could use more play action. Josh Allen was very good on play action last year and actually attempted play action some of the least amounts in the league. So I'll yell at Brian Dable, more RPO, more play action. Let's do the things that allow Josh Allen to be most efficient. But Brian Dable, why aren't off. they running him? Why aren't they running him? Is it what you know. said in your show? Is it is it literally they're just trying to toss him in the deep end and they hate swim? Like is that literally what you we're know, talking about? Historically, Brian Dable has thrown his people in the deep end. He asks his quarterbacks to make big boy throws and play big boy quarterbacking. So there is a small amount of I'm going to make this easy for you, but it's not like playing in a Matt Nagy offense. It's not right. like we're going to put you in the kiddie pool and make sure you can't drown because it's only up to your ankles which is what the Bears did with Mitch Trubisky. That's what Matt Nagy did with Alex Smith when he was in Kansas City. Lots of RPOs, lots of screens, lots of quick binaries for the quarterback. This or this. Read this linebacker. If he goes this way, do this way. If he goes the other way, right. go a different thing. And so, right. really, you know, you roll the quarterback out and you give him nice high-low reads. Whereas if the, you know, if the boundary corner is up, you're going to throw the corner out. If the boundary corner drops back, you're going to throw the drag or the flare, whatever's closer right. to you. So, those easy binaries, that's not a lot of what Brian Dable does. So it is like playing in the deep end. But to be fair, a lot of the quarterbacks who are successful at this league at a high level for a long time, they're not getting babied. Drew Brees isn't getting babied. Tom Brady's not getting right. babied. Russell Wilson right. isn't getting babied. He's probably needs to be let off the leash a little bit, but he's not getting babied. And so Brian Dable probably looks at this and says, listen, man, I don't want to limp along with training wheels on my quarterback. Mm. And that's probably why he doesn't do it. He says, listen, you know what? I can limp along for two or three years, but at the end of it, we're still not going to know what we've got in this quarterback. So you know what? Here you go. Josh, have fun. Sploosh right there in the deep end. And so I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that because I think that at some point you need to know. And with the ability that Brandon Bean has had to build around Josh Allen, and having stability at the offensive side, getting him weapons. If Josh Allen fails, I won't kind of look at Brian Dable and say, you should have made it easier on him. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going right. to say, you know what? You gave him every opportunity as an organization. Thank goodness we've got an organization who can correctly build around a rookie quarterback. Holy crap. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to be okay with that. But right now, I think it's pretty fair to say Josh Allen's probably a below average passer. Yeah. I love what you said. And I quote you all the time. Just, you know, I give you, so I repeat what you said. Um, it was probably about a month, month and a half ago. And I give you a quote for it every time that, you know, it, it, you know, we're looking for Josh Allen to take that next step to, we're looking for 
obviously progress as a passer. And, you know, the reality is, is if he comes out and he throws an extra 200 yards or 100 yards over the season, two extra touchdowns, you know, and his, and his, and his accuracy goes up a point or two, that's not progress, that's plateauing. And I think that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm off script a little bit, uh, or I'm about to be, just because uh, I want to just see if you agree with me, which is basically what I'm on record as saying, which is that if Josh Allen comes out and he does what we think he's going to do, which is take that next step, I believe I believe the kid is clay. I've never seen a quarterback function or operate in such a clay fashion the way that Josh Allen does. And what I mean by that is, you know, they play two, three games, a problem presents itself, they go to practice and they work on it, he fixes it, and it's not a problem anymore. Like he seems to have a very high acumen to put into practice whatever it is he's trying to correct or whatever the problem is to fix it. But here's the thing, if he takes that step, then we all know what we got, it's great, regardless of playoffs or not. So Josh Allen can come out and throw for 3,800 yards, 30 touchdowns, and the Bills could not make the playoffs. He could come out and throw for 3,800 yards, 30 touchdowns, and they could make the playoffs. But I think that if, if if we're looking at a scenario this time next year and Josh Allen comes out in plateaus or regresses, there's a quarterback competition in Buffalo next year. Do you agree with that? I think it would depend on the availability of veteran quarterbacks next year. I think it's going to be Dalton, Andy yeah, Dalton, right? Yeah, Andy Dalton will be there. James Winston will be there. There'll be some potentially some availability. And I think that if you look at the parallels between the Bears and the Bills, which is what a lot of people mm -hmm. do when they compare Josh Allen mm -hmm. and Mitch Trubisky, they're not really comparing those two. They're comparing organizational comparisons. They don't want to right. talk about that because they want to use it as an insult to get at Josh Allen. But really what they're doing is they're comparing the, the organizations and their situations. But, you know, Nick Foles going to Chicago and pairing up with Matt Nagy, who was a, with Andy Reid, where Nick Foles was in Kansas City, where he recouped his love for football, that's not a coincidence. It's right. bringing in someone who's familiar with that system. And right. so the question you start looking to yourself is, okay, who would be familiar with the Brian Dable system? Like, who would be someone who could come in and prove to themselves and to the team in an offseason that they could legitimately compete with someone who's been in the system for, at that time, going into his fourth year? So you look at that and you go, ah, the options aren't great, Bob. Like it's not, there's not a lot of options out there. So it doesn't have to be someone like that, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that you can bring in competition if Josh Allen doesn't take a step forward. I don't know what they're going to do because we've never seen Sean McDermott with a regressing hopeful franchise quarterback before. This is all right. brand new territory for him. We don't know what he does. I know that he loved Nate Peterman <laughs> inexplicably, <laughs> but I don't know how he would act if Josh Allen started to backslide. I don't know if he would bring somebody in or not. Well, so does Gruden. Gruden loves the Peter man, but uh, not knock on wood if you're with me. But uh, regardless of that, I don't think Dable's here. I think if, if Allen regresses because he was effectively chucked in the deep end and drowned, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, I don't know that Dable's here. To me, it's a one A one B. As as Josh Allen goes, Dable goes. I mean, I, I if Josh Allen is super effective, you know, and he does everything we think he's going to do and progresses, and the Bills go to the playoffs and win a playoff game or whatever happens at the end of the season, if we have it, or you know, he regresses horribly or plateaus. I think in either scenario, Dable's gone. I don't think, I think he's either getting a promotion someplace else or he's fired from this team if that's the case, but that's just me and that's neither here nor there. Um, so we're listening to uh, Bruce Nolan from the Blue, the Bruce exclusive. And I'm going to try to get us back on point because we're supposed to be talking. This is a phenomenal conversation and I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. So uh, I appreciate just all the knowledge you're dropping on my podcast. This is unbelievable. 
Um, but we're supposed to be talking about rush yards as it pertains to quarterbacks and athletic quarterbacks is what they've always been kind of the, the moniker that they've been given. And the question is, is are we at the point now where it's no longer putting that moniker on a quarterback? Are they no longer, you know, an athletic quarterback? Are they just a quarterback? Because all the quarterbacks are going to be doing what they're going to be doing, which is rushing and passing. And is it now more of a situation where we have to talk about, yes, they had 250 yards passing and they had 65 yards rushing. So then it comes into the rushing yards, which, and this is the part for me where it gets a little bit murky or a little bit blurry, because how do we distinguish on a stat line, relevant yards versus non-relevant yards? And you were kind of talking about relevant yards versus non-relevant yards in passing, but in rushing, it's even more, I think, important because a non-relevant passing yards a yard is usually when a quarterback's down by 30 points and he's chucking the ball over the field and getting garbage touchdowns at the end and racking up 150 yards and passes. Like that means nothing if you lose the game. Rushing yards, completely different. When you think about, you know, rushing being situational, rushing being strategic, you know, is it a, is it a guy that's making a play because he sees the, the middle in front of him wide open, the defense has, has voided the entire middle of the field and, he, and he's gone? Is it escapism or is it a situation like Josh Allen's first year? And, and guys like that we've seen in the past, like Vince Young, who basically don't hang in the pocket long enough to see the play develop. They just the clock in their head is way too short. They drop back and they're gone. And Josh Allen surprised a lot of defenses in year one, but it wasn't effective. It didn't work for this football team. So where do we begin to kind of like splice the relevant yards versus non-relevant yards when you're trying to judge these guys against each other? I think you do it the same way that you do it for passing. And that is you go back to the definition of effectiveness that I outlined earlier. And the effectiveness is how much you do something multiplied by how well you do it. Well, how much you do it would be rushing yards. And how well you do it, I think we can use rushing success rate. We can use rushing QBR. QBR is not a passing-only statistic. Total QBR is passing QBR plus rushing QBR. So rushing QBR is valuable there. I think EPA per rush is extremely valuable for quarterbacks. One of the most effective rushing plays in football last year was Josh Allen running the ball. Right. Just from an EPA per rush standpoint, when I said he's one of the best running quarterbacks in the league and a below average passer, I wasn't hyperbole. He's one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the league. Like it's him and Lamar Jackson right there at the top. And I'm not sure there's a third guy when it comes to effectiveness rushing the football. Kyler Murray's got a little bit of that too. But with Josh Allen's ability to get, like you said, rushing is more strategic. Rushing isn't always about get the most possible yards you absolutely can out of this play. It's usually about get five yards on third and four. Get this third and one. Get this fourth and one. Get this goal line carry. Get this six points on fourth and goal. Make sure right. you get to the next thing. It's more, much more a binary. Mission accomplished or mission not as opposed to get the maximum amount of yards. Do you remember at the end of the first half when Peterman was playing and he decided not to throw the Hail Mary and rush the ball down the sidelines instead? Do you remember that play, yeah. Joe? Yes, yes. That's why you can't use rushing yards only for a quarterback. That play right there, because that rush was completely stupid. There was no point in getting that. Now, it looks good on a stat line, and it's good for fantasy stats, but if you're not using the full definition of effectiveness – which is how much you do something multiplied by how well you do it, and you're only using yardage, then you're not going to get that. So for rushing, I think you have to use rushing QBR. I think you have to use EPA per rush, and I think you have to use rushing success rate. 
Those are things that you have to use in order to determine how effectively a quarterback is running versus just straight yardage. But what do you do in a situation where like, like in, in regards to what I was just speaking about Josh Allen. So Josh Allen year one, in my opinion, I'll use the word effectiveness and that's probably not the word effective. It's probably not the correct word in the, in the, in the setting that we're speaking about rushing as a quarterback. He was more not successful. He gained more yards, caught more defenses off guard year one than he did year two. If you remember last year, there was a lot of people complaining, myself included, in the way they were using him in the run. It just seemed like there was just a lot of like, why are they doing that now? Like the defense is ready for it. The defense is expecting it or it just wasn't a great setup or the plays before it weren't set up right. I mean, how do you, man, I'm trying to figure out how to pose this question, but how do you put, you know, how do you put a quarterback in a situation to, I guess it's on the offensive coordinator. Um, I, I pretty much have lost the question is that I was trying to ask. I, do you see what I'm, what I'm getting yeah. at as far as like, yeah, no, I see yeah, it. So, so if you, yeah, speak to it. So, First off, I would make an argument that Josh Allen running during 2018 was actually more effective than potentially you give it credit for. And the first okay. thing I would say about that is, do you remember who the weapons were in 2018? I remember who the offensive line was. Yeah. So at <laughs> one point in 2018, this Buffalo Bills offense was on pace to be the worst offense in the history of professional football. That's right. Like that, there was at one point. That's not hyperbole. At one point, they were on pace for that, and so which is why eight, which is why eight of those guys are no longer playing football. Exactly. And when your starting receivers are Kelvin Benjamin, Andre Holmes, and Jeremy Curley coming into the year, and then Jeremy right. Curley gets cut, Kelvin Benjamin gets cut, Andre Holmes gets cut, nobody picks them up, and you're dealing with right. undrafted Robert Foster and a guy you picked up off the scrap heap from Denver in Isaiah McKenzie. Josh right. Allen kind of needed to run. Because he needed to generate the entirety off the offense himself because he didn't have the ability to do so. So I think earlier we asked, why are you running? And you talked about that. Why are you running? Are you running because you're panicking? Are you running because it's right. Vince Young? You don't know what you're seeing? In this case, I would make an argument Josh Allen was running because him running the ball was one of the most effective ways for this offense to run to get yards. And so I actually think Josh Allen doing during 2018 ran because he had to unless you were chucking the ball deep to Robert Foster or running it and making Kiko Alonso do an okie doke, I think that you really didn't have much of a chance on offense in 2018. So, and I think that was reflective because for a while there during a stretch of the back half of 2018, when Josh Allen was rushing for a hundred yards a game, you remember that stretch yep, yep. during that time, we go back to PFF grades. He was actually PFF's highest graded quarterback. So one of the things hmm. that I, I know during that stretch, because PFF gives him credit for that. One Awkward of the, silence. Right. <laughs> weird, right? One of the things that you have to understand is that there is no metric for opportunity cost. And that is really, really tough because there's no metric for what you otherwise could have done. This is one of the reasons why advanced analytics likes Tyrod Taylor so much, but fans don't. Because right. what fans see is... He didn't pull the trigger on the passes that weren't deep down the sidelines or mm -hmm. checkdowns. That intermediate right. part of the field where we know the game is played and Josh Allen plays well in that spot, Tyrod Taylor didn't play there consistently. But the metrics say he completed a pass for six yards. They don't say he could have completed a 15-yard seam route that would have gotten us the first down. And right. that's the difficult thing about this conversation. The crux of this issue especially when it comes to rushing yardage, 
is there is no metric for opportunity cost. There isn't a metric for whether or not you got those 10 yards rushing, but you could have gotten it better passing. And that's why I think I go back to the initial conversation we had about the delineation between the two passing and rushing and why I felt Mm -hmm. like they needed to make sure that they stayed separate. It's for this reason right here, because if you're rushing the ball because no one's open, if you're rushing the ball because you can very quickly pick up five yards on third and four and keep the sticks moving, if you're rushing the ball because you're rolling out and there's a chance to get one yard and a touchdown here, that's good. If you're rushing the ball because you don't know what you're seeing, if you're rushing the ball for different reasons, that might not be a good thing. But either way, it might look the same on a yardage line. So there is no metric for opportunity cost. The best you can do is use the effectiveness formula that we talked about, how well you do something, multiply by how much you do it, use the yardage, use the efficiency metrics, bundle them together to get a good idea of effectiveness, and then go back to the tape. For opportunity yep. cost, because there is no metric for opportunity cost. There's no metric for you could have made that throw, but you chickened out and ran for five yards. The only thing no, the metric sure. t- tells you is you ran it for five yards. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's funny because you bring up you bring up the obviously we've talked a lot about that just that intermediate range. And my the last twenty years of of Buffalo Bills football for me can be summed up in this third and long. Do you think the quarterback's going to get it? And in that time, we've had three Drew Br- or Drew Bledsoe rather. Like you knew third and long, Drew was going to chuck the ball, and then it was Kyle Orton. Kyle Orton was pretty efficient, you know, at that third and long piece. And Josh Allen for me now, if the Bills are there was a time when Tyrod Taylor was a quarterback. If the Bills were third and anything more than five. I was like, well, they're punting. Like the, the, this, this, this whole series is over. Josh Allen's third and fifteen, third and sixteen, and I'm like, he's going to find the guy. Like he's going to find the open receiver, and he does consistently, um, which I think is what gives us all so much hope. Like in Josh Allen, and and I'm wearing goggles. I think we're all wearing Homer goggles. That's we're fans. We want Josh Allen to be good and to be the guy. And obviously, we've seen him take steps and. We've seen him from a raw state. So we'll see We'll see what happens as far as that goes. As far as rushing quarterbacks go, now there's been a lot of different ones just throughout the history of the NFL and kind of as we've seen it come up. And and clearly the, the quarterbacks that are in the NFL now that are that are effectively rushing and passing are not you know what we would call wildcat quarterbacks because there was a time when the Tim Tebow's of the world, the wildcat quarterback guy, the, the, the Terrell Pryor was kind of like what was coming up. And it was like, that's the stuff that's just not going to work. However, these guys are playing football in the sense of they're passing. They're playing football in the sense that they're rushing because this is what they do. When you look at the average life expectancy of an NFL running back four years because of how much they're getting hit, is it sustainable? Like, are we talking about a situation where these guys come in young, they're rushing and they're passing? However, year five, year six, they're going to do almost what Russell Wilson does, which is maybe not run so much anymore because it puts them at risk. Do you think that there's like a curve to this rushing thing? Or is are we going to see guys that are in the league, Steve Young, 12 years, 15 years, rushing and passing? I think the only curve to it is the curve of the quarterback's athleticism. I don't think that the hits that you take when you run necessarily are worse than the hits you take when you're in the pocket. Now, right. you have more protections in the pocket, but you're also not able to get out of bounds and not able to slide and not able to avoid hits, not able to manipulate your body in the open field. So... I do think that there is a curve to it, but I don't think it's different than any other athletic curve. I think as the quarterback starts to lose athleticism, maybe they get to their mid-30s and they're not quite the athlete they used to be. I think that curve is going to happen, but that curve was going to happen anyway. So yes, 
there's a curve to it, but I don't think it's necessarily unsustainable due to hits. I think it might be unsustainable due to other reasons. And I do think that your ability to use it as a crutch is unsustainable. Your ability to be a run first mm-hmm. quarterback is absolutely unsustainable because right. the things that we're talking about are super, per, excuse me, superfluous skills. That's what they are. They're, right. they're things that are nice bonuses to have. Josh Allen cannot stay as a below average passer and be a franchise quarterback. That's not going to happen. No matter how right. good of a runner he is, it doesn't matter. If you're not at least an above average passer, you're toast because all the things we're talking about are valuable, but all the things we're talking about are not valuable in the correct quantity. I mean, think about it. We were just talking about 40 passes a game. If you have 40 passes a game and eight rushes a game and you're a really good rusher and a below average passer, uh, the numbers are not in your favor because That's you're doing something you're below average at 40 times a game and you're doing something right. you're great at eight times a game. Well, that doesn't right. work. So because of that, at some point, you are going to have to become an above average passer. Now, that doesn't mean you have to stop being a runner. That just means you have to make sure that you're above average passer. It's interesting because when you when you think about quarterbacks that get hurt, rushing quarterbacks or dual threat, what are we, athletic quarterbacks that get hurt, generally speaking, they don't get hurt running, to your point. The only one that seems to get hurt running is Carson Wentz. All the other ones get hurt in the pocket because they're in, you know, funny positions or they're, you know, 360 pound defensive linemen are landing on them or landing on their legs or something like that. So it's, it's an actual interesting point. I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose. Somebody get me a towel. I need to call my wife and it's like, I need somebody to get me a towel because I'm soaking wet. Like you're just, you're just dropping it on me. It's, it's, it's crazy, but it's good. Like everything that you're talking about is good. I think that, you know, as we, as we talk through this, your point against mine which is like we need to say just total yards i agree with you at this point now they do need to be you know obviously separated or continue to be separated between passing yards and rushing yards you know how we're going to get the national media fans all of us you know we're probably still a ways away then to really begin to look at these guys to the point where rushing yards matter rushing rushing yards matter if you play fantasy josh allen's a top five fantasy quarterback but when you're talking about just watching highlights and who's won and lost games People don't really care about rushing yards for a quarterback. They need to be up there in that conversation. So I agree with you as far as like keeping them separate. So it needs to